The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of The Circle Opens can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order at any time, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That is Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Welcome back, everybody. We are starting Chapter 29 of The Stand today, and that means we have 13 chapters left of Book 1, Captain Trips, <laughs> before we go into Book 2, On the Border. And a big, big thank you to everyone um, who has been listening. And if this is your first episode, um, you probably want to go back and start it episode one, chapter one. Um, But yes, thank you to everybody who has uh, stayed with me through this journey. And a big thank you to everybody who has um, recently left me ratings on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to this uh, podcast on. You guys are awesome. And I truly do appreciate it. Um, The reviews and the ratings really help the podcast get seen by a bigger audience. Um, This is a very specific podcast. There's, um, I have my own little niche here. Uh, this isn't a generalized, you know, true crime podcast or reviewing movie podcast. Um, this is a very specific podcast for Stephen King fans. And so, um, I'd never really expect to get a huge, uh, audience. Um, I am very, very happy with the one that I have. I'm very happy with the King fans who have given this podcast a try and have stuck with it. Um, I King fans are my people, so you guys are my people. So thank you very, very much for um, all the kind words. And thank you to Special K0455 for your review that you sent me. It was wonderful, and it really did make my day. So I have no, um, I have no news today. I have no news for the stand CBS All Access. Um, I imagine they are like last week. They're very busy filming. Um, I've been trying to keep up with uh, casting and seeing who um, might be entering the uh, the production. But so far, it's been kind of quiet. There have been a few like small roles here and there uh, cast, but nothing huge since. Um, trying to remember the last part the last huge casting I think it was Heather Graham for Rita Blakemore so anyway um should anything like that come out in between episodes you can um always follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook at the circle opens or you can just follow the circleopens.com um I try to post new uh casting news among other things at that website um as as it happens I don't I'm not always on the ball with as quickly as it comes out but um So here I go rambling about my website. I'm going to stop now. Okay, (laughs) we're going to jump right into chapter 29. But of course, to recap last week, chapter 28, Fran lost both of her parents to the superflu, and she spent the day burying her father in his garden in the backyard. We also met Harold Lauder, a 16-year-old who was the brother of Fran's now-deceased friend Amy, and Harold has decided that he wants to leave a gun quit, and he wants Fran to go with him, but she will only consider this if he figures out uh, figures out where he exactly where he wants to go. I don't think that she's on board with just jumping into his stolen car. Um, is it stolen? 
if the owner's dead, probably, yes, <laughs> it's stolen. So I don't think she wants to jump into a stolen person, a stolen dead person's car um, and just travel wherever with Harold Louder of all people. So once he figures out where he wants to go, he's free to come ask her again and she will consider it. Fran also dreams of the dark man um, and he, the nightmare is kind of tied into her father's death and her unborn baby. So the dark man, a.k.a. Randall Flagg, is making his presence known in the dreams of the survivors. In today's episode, we are back in Stovington, Vermont, where Stu Redman is still being held by the CDC. He is waiting for a man named Elder to enter his room. On the 24th of June, when the whole country started to go to hell, Elder and two male nurses had come into Stu's room to take his television. But, you know, Elder had a gun on Stu the whole time they did this to keep Stu from, I don't know, fighting back, trying to keep his TV. Um, but Stu has no need for the television anymore. He did not need the news to tell him what was going on. Um, it says, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Through his barred windows, Stu can see plenty for himself anyway. Uh, smoke is coming from the textile mill. And the river was running clear again, free of the stripes and eddies of dye from the mill. Cars from the mill's parking lot had left and, well, most of them had left and never come back. On the 26th of June, Stu could see only a couple cars still moving on the turnpike. Um, the rest of the turnpike is littered with abandoned vehicles. The downtown area below him is deserted. Um, there had been a fire at a nearby cafe, but no fire trucks had come to douse the flame. The whole town probably would have gone up in flames if the cafe hadn't been built in the middle of an asphalt parking lot. So the whole area that Stu can see from his window is in ruins. And I guess I'm imagining um, the way it's described is the CDC is kind of up on a hill overlooking Stovington. So Stu's able to see quite a bit from where his window is. Now Stu is waiting for Elder to return and kill him. Those were probably his final orders and why not? Um, he knew, Stu knew what they had done. And if they kill him, he would just be one more dead body. Nobody's going to even notice he was gone. He was a loose thread held hostage by a bunch of tight assholes. And really, who cares what he knows now? Um, everybody's dead. There would be very few people left that Stu could tell. And, I mean, what could those people possibly do about it now? It's done. It's over. Stu had wanted to escape. Uh, if you guys remember the last time we saw Stu, he had been thinking, he'd been wondering if he could escape from a place like this. Um, but now Stu has quickly realized that he couldn't. And in the end, he's resigned himself to the fact that the only thing he could do was wait for Elder and try to be ready for it. And Elder, we have not seen this person yet, but he is to Stu the most obvious sign that this particular CDC had also been breached by the Superflu, kind of like Atlanta was before they moved everybody up to Vermont. And he's heard people around the CDC call it the Superflu or just blue, and he was referred to as, this man was referred to as Dr. Elder, but he's not a doctor. He is in his mid-50s, and he is described as hard-eyed and humorless. None of the other doctors carry guns, and they don't carry guns in when they come to talk to Stu. But Stu knew that Elder was not a man who could be reasoned with, and he would carry out any orders given to him. It would never occur to him to question what he's been told to do, even in these circumstances. So Stu thinks about Watership Down, 
a book that he had purchased to send to his nephew in Waco. And Stu doesn't like wrapping presents as you know any more than he likes to read. So he finds himself just kind of thumbing through the first few pages of this book. And he ends up reading the entire book in two days, which is saying something for a man who rarely read. And when he did, it was at a snail's pace. So this book had a phrase that Stu remembers called going tharn. Stu knows what that means. Um, animals like rabbits crouch, crouching in the middle of the road, ears flat, paralyzed by the oncoming lights and oncoming death. Um, deers are the same way. If you shine lights in their eyes, uh, raccoons with loud music, parrots, if you tap on their cages enough. Elder makes Stu feel that way. He would look into Elder's flat eyes and feel the will. to. He just feels his will drain out of him. And tharn, it was a good word for a bad state of mind. So just past 10 p.m. that night, uh, the red light goes on over Stu's door, and he feels a bit of sweat break out on his face and his arms. And this seems to happen every time that the red light goes on over the door because Stu knows that eventually, one of these times, Elder will be alone. And he wouldn't want, you know, he won't want witnesses to see what he's going to do to Stu, if there are any witnesses left anyway. And sure enough, this time when Elder walks through the door, he is alone. But he has his gun. And he is he asks Stu how he's doing, how he's feeling. Stu can hear this nasally sound in Elder's voice, and he realizes that Elder is sick too. And But Elder's still wearing his white suit with the hood and the plastic face plate um, for whatever reason. If he's sick, it what's the point? Why is he still <laughs> pretending that Stu could be infected? Or maybe he's just wearing this white suit around the whole facility? I'm not really sure. Maybe it's just habit by now for them to try to wear these suits and protect themselves. So yeah, so Stu is careful uh, to sound calm in his response, and he says that he feels just about the same. You know, and when is he getting out of this place? Elder says very soon. In fact, he's been given orders, and Stu knows exactly what kind of orders these are, and out of nowhere, he yells about a rat on the wall above the door. You know, what kind of place are you guys running here? There's a rat in the room. And I think this surprises Stu because this was not something that he had planned to do. He had just a hope he was waiting for Elder and he was just trying to be ready for whatever happened. So out of nowhere, he yells about a rat and it just happens. And it's amazing how the brain works when there's enough panic and adrenaline rushing through it. So the exclamation about the rat takes Elder by surprise and he turns to look. Stu does not hesitate. I think if he would have hesitated, this would not have worked. But he takes the chair that he had been sitting on and he swings it at Elder, breaking the arm that was holding the gun. And the gun goes off once as it leaves his hand and then it goes off again when it falls to the floor. Thankfully, nobody's hurt. Well, okay, thankfully, Stu's not hurt. So Stu swings the chair again into the plastic faceplate of Elder's hood and the faceplate splinters into Elder's face, causing him to scream and fall backwards. Stu finds the gun, and he points it at an unmoving elder on the floor. For a moment, he worries that maybe elder hadn't been there to kill him, but to release him. But, you know, that makes no sense, especially as elder had said that the orders that he was given were, quote, not so hot. 
Stu, of course, has the urge just to bolt and run. I mean, I would have. I had been out that door. I'd have been just running for my life. Um, but he realizes he needs to be careful about getting out of this place. He leaves the room and finds a smaller room furnished um, with just a desk. And on this desk are his medical charts and his clothes, the clothes that he had been wearing on the plane, uh, on the plane ride from Braintree, Texas to Atlanta. Stu figures that they had planned just to throw these clothes into the crematorium with him and Stu Redman would be gone. He dead? Who? Nobody knows who this guy was. Elder follows Stu out of the room. His broken arm is dangling. His hands are kind of loose. And there is a splinter of plastic uh, stuck in his eye. And I just, I have, (laughs) I have this thing about like not so much body horror as much as it is face horror. Um, Things that happen to people's mouths, their teeth, their eyes. um, Just thinking about it makes me squeamish. So just that one sentence in the book, I I did not, (laughs) I didn't like it at all, especially when there's the word oozing um, included in that. It just, it's so nasty. Um, Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that stuff. So he has this plastic in his eye, but he is smiling. Um, Stu tells him not to move, but Elder doesn't seem to hear him and he keeps coming at Stu. So Stu shoots him. Elder falls, and at this point, Stu finally makes a run for it. Uh, A door opens at the far end of the room. Beyond that is a hallway with muted fluorescence, and there's also an elevator bank in an abandoned nurse's station. Stu can hear a faint groaning sound, a coughing, um, ratcheting sound that really has no end. Stu returns into the room and grabs his clothes, of course, and rather than put them on, he just carries them out into the hallway, still holding his gun. He is afraid Elder will follow, um, determined to carry out his last orders at any cost, and Stu finds himself longing for the closed and known dimensions of the room, because the unknown is a very scary place. He does find the source of the groaning. It's a male nurse that Stu recognizes, his name being Vic. Not to be confused with Vic Palfrey, who had been um, one of Stu's friends from Arnett. He is dead. Vic, the male nurse, is surprised to see Stu is out of his room, but Stu explains that Elder had come to take care of him, so he took care of Elder first. Vic tells Stu that he's lucky, but he, Vic, is in a lot of pain. Everything hurts, and what a fuck-up this turned out to be. Stu asks Vic if there's anything that he can do for him. And Vic asks Stu to put a bullet in his head because he's ripping himself to pieces from the inside. Stu cannot bring himself to do this. Um, And this is when his nerves break. He just runs for the elevators and he wonders if maybe um, they're booby trapped with poison gas or a cutout circuit that would send the car careening down the shaft to the ground. Inside the car, he looks for any hidden vents, any loopholes. And he's starting to feel claustrophobic, too. He's thinking that this elevator is going to be his premature burial. Stu's really paranoid. Um, And, you know, that's understandable given he had essentially been held hostage and locked in a room for quite some time now, um, well before the super flu started to really take out the rest of the country. And Stu has no idea what to expect. He did not see... Um, the country unraveling the way that everyone else has. He's only been able to watch from this window to see Stovington. Um, He did not see the television. He didn't see the news. He didn't see what Fran saw on the news. 
Um, so yeah, he's beyond paranoid now. And he worries that outside of the elevator, when he hits his floor, that there will be men with guns. But when the doors open, there's only a dead woman in the hallway by a lady's room. And Stu starts down the hall. He's scared. Um, there's a noise behind him, but it's only the elevator's closing. It's kind of that you're so scared that every little noise makes you jump. So he's walking and his mind is telling him, okay, enough with this walking stuff. Let's run because you need to get out of here before someone or something comes for him. Um, there are offices with names on the door, a library wing. The hall seems to stretch for miles. Um, and it probably isn't miles. It's probably in his head. Um, have you guys ever had like a dream where you're trying to escape someplace terrifying and like the hall just keeps getting longer and longer and longer? Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of if you guys have seen Poltergeist uh, when Joe Beth Williams, the mother, hears her kids screaming in their bedroom and she's trying to run to them and it just feels like the hallway keeps getting, that door keeps getting further away from her. Um, and that's kind of how I imagine Stu in this facility. He's just looking for a way out and every place he looks just seems to be um, never ending. So there's a dead body um, down the hallway, a man in a white suit. And Stu is starting to feel his control start to slip. This place is much bigger than he thought it was. And it seems to be the size of a hospital. And he could stumble around for hours, um, finding dead body upon dead body. And this makes him think of his late wife, Norma. We finally get her name. Uh, when they took her to the hospital after she was diagnosed with cancer, there had been maps everywhere in the hospital that says, you know, you are here. So people wouldn't get lost, but they don't have these in this building and Stu is feeling lost. This whole situation really freaks me out. <laughs> There's really nothing scarier than getting lost in a building or any place that is unfamiliar to you, um, especially a building where you've been held captive and it's now very quiet and littered with dead bodies. This man, Elder, had come to kill Stu and now Stu had had He'd had to kill him instead, and now he just can't figure out how to get out of this place. But Stu tells himself, don't go tharn now. You're almost free. Don't, like, don't panic. Don't become paralyzed by fear like the rabbits in Watership Down. The hallway ends with a closed door um, and the sign that says radiology closed until further notice. Closed forever, if you ask me. Haha. <laughs> so Stu turns around to head back to where he had started. And he tries a different way, passing more offices. Uh, the, this corridor ends with a microbiology lab. Inside the lab, there's a young man in jockey shorts sprawled over a desk. He's comatose, bleeding from the nose and the mouth. And he's still breathing, but not by much. Seeing this figure... Um, finally breaks something in Stu, and he just starts to run. His footsteps are echoing in the halls. He's running from corridor to corridor. He is unable to find a way out. And he begins to imagine a white-suited figure chasing him, faceless, a dreadful apparition, a, a hitman from beyond, same time and place. Stu turns a corner, and he runs about 10 feet before he slams into a door. It says, Exit. He pushes through the door and goes down about four steps to another door. To the left, there are more stairs descending into darkness. The top half of this next door has a clear glass reinforced by safety wire. But beyond that is the night sky, 
and all the freedom a man ever dreamed of. Stu is staring out this window, just transfixed by the sight of his freedom, when a hand slithers out of the darkness and grabs his ankle. Frightened, Stu looks down and sees a bloody grinning face in the darkness. This face says to him, Come down and eat chicken with me, beautiful, it whispered in a cracked and dying voice. It's so dark. What a line that is. I remember the first time I read this book when I was 13, 14, 13, and I just laughed. I was young and juvenile, but I just laughed. I'm like, who's eating chicken when they're about to die? But I love that they kept this line in the 1994 miniseries. Um, It's perfect. Stu screams at this, as I would, and he tries to pull himself free from this man's grasp, but this thing hangs on blood and bile tricking from its lips and Stu kicks at the hand he stomps on it and the face hanging in the stairwell disappears into the dark Stu can hear thudding crashes and then screaming but he doesn't know if this screaming is from pain or rage and he doesn't know he doesn't care I wouldn't care either I'd be out of there so he rams his shoulder into the exit door again and again and then it finally bangs open and Stu falls outside onto the, cement, onto the cement path. It reads, he sat up slowly, almost warily. Behind him, the screams had stopped. A cool evening breeze touched his face, dried the sweat on his brow. He saw with something very much like wonder that there was grass and flower beds. Night had never smelled as fragrantly as this. A crescent moon rode the sky Stu turned his face up to it thankfully and then walked across the lawn toward the road which led to the town of Stovington below. The grass was dressed with dewfall. He could hear wind whispering in the pines. I'm alive, Stu Redman said to the night. He began to cry. I'm alive. Thank God I'm alive. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Tottering a little, he began to walk down the road. Stu is free, and I like how romanticized um, his thoughts and his what he was seeing and what he was feeling and smelling when he's out of this building. Um, everything is just beautiful. It's fragrant. There's dewfall on the moon. Um, it's a horrible situation to be in. Um, he's about to uh, have his um, idyllic view of freedom shattered once he sees what is waiting for him out there but I love this little paragraph before the end of this chapter um I think King really hit home how people might see um such simple things simple everyday things like grass and trees and the wind after you've been through such a horrible ordeal um he has been cooped up in the CDC rooms almost since we met him I think the first chapter we met him at um, Hascom's Texaco, but then after that, he was always with uh, the army or these doctors. So he's also the first known person for us that had been immune to the superflu, though there's, there's no explanation why. The doctors and scientists were unable to figure that out, and King has not explained to us either why uh, people like Stu were immune to the superflu. But you know what? I like that we don't get an explanation. I like that it's unknown to us because I mean, what is it about Stu's DNA that is able to fight off a virus that's killed 99.4 of the population? What is it about Larry or Fran or Nick or Harold? 
Um, do they have some greater purpose? Is this scientific? Is it medical? Or is it something supernatural? Is it something more? This is a really great suspenseful chapter from King. Um, Stu has remained somewhat calm and stoic in these chapters, despite the internal monologue of fear and the occasional break in his temper at the people responsible for all of this. Uh, Dietz, if you guys remember Colonel Dietz, in his report back in chapter 14, described Stu as independent and bright with a Gary Cooper exterior. Uh, Stu managed to hold it together, but once the writing was on the wall, he realized um, he would be killed. And once he realizes that, just like that, the fear really creeps in and he just acts on pure instinct. He saves himself, but it's no action hero sequence here. Stu doesn't kill El- Elder with a stoic expression and a, you know, a punny line. <laughs> it's just, he doesn't have, he, he doesn't even have a steady hand. He doesn't want to kill anybody, but he does it because he has to in order to survive. I think that if his nerves hadn't been so shot, he might have been able to find his way out of this building much sooner. Um, But, I mean, just imagine being so afraid. People stuck, um, you know, being stuck in this unfamiliar building, finding dead people, dying people all over, uh, so close to death and not being able to find a way out to freedom, to fresh air, to to the outside world. And it's really terrifying. And Stu just runs and runs until he literally runs into the door that will lead him to freedom. And not without a bit of a scare, of course, because the dying are even in the stairwells. And I think that the hand coming out of the darkness to grab his ankle is as much of a jump scare as you'll see in this book. And I hope that we see Chicken Man in the CBS All Access miniseries. Um, But this chapter really notches up the suspense for Stu. Um, but he's free now. There's no more tests, no more doctors, no more being locked away like he's in a cage. So where will he go now? I am going to cover chapter 30 here too, real quick, because it's a page long and you know how I am with these super short chapters. We don't get a lot of them, so I don't feel uh, guilty shoving it in here with chapter 29. And as we end chapter 29 with Stu finally finding freedom and being thankful he's alive, we cut back to Arnett, Texas, where it all began. Bill Haskum's Texaco sign has blown off the building and it lay in the middle of the road. Someone had left the gas on in Norm Brewitt's house, and the Brewitt family, all of which are dead, and a spark from the air conditioner blew the whole place sky high, uh, scattering lumber and Fisher Price toys all over the street. On Main Street in Arnett, dogs and soldiers lay dead. In Randy's superette, a man in pajamas lay dead over the meat counter. Interesting, interestingly enough, you know, um, cats did not catch the flu. Dozens of them are wandering in and out of the shadows. White noise of televisions run in several homes. A red wagon full of returnable beer and soda bottles rest in the middle of Durgin Street. On Logan Lane, in Arnett's best neighborhood, wind chimes played on the porch of Tony Leominster's house. Tony's scout stood in the driveway, windows open, and a family of squirrels have now nested in the back seat. I'm assuming the squirrels are also alive and immune from the superflu. The sun has gone down in a deserted Arnett, Texas, and the town grew dark under the wind of the night. The town was, except for the chur and whisper of small animals, 
and the tinkle of Tony Leominster's wind chimes. Silent and silent and silent. This was Stu's hometown, but now it's a ghost town. It still blows my mind how quickly all of this has happened. There are abandoned cars, toys, televisions still playing, and how many how many dead are still in their homes like Shoyo? Um, what about their cars? Uh, Stu saw abandoned cars on the highway. Are they abandoned or are they tombs? It's quiet. And I could, this is a short, very brief chapter. I could picture all of this so clearly in my head. Um, the silence of the streets, the cats, who, of course, cats are the ones who are going to be immune from the super flu, um, weaving in and out of the shadows, looking for food, bodies of soldiers strewn about the roads and in the gutters. I'm trying not to think about the dogs because I'm a dog person and that's just depressing for me. But I can hear the muffled white noise of the televisions in my head as I read this. The white noise because no stations are broadcasting anymore. And the wind chimes, which are such a relaxing sound on a summer night. So this is a very short, very quick, but very powerful chapter. Stu is free, but his hometown is dead, as is the rest of the country. And, you know, he went to Atlanta when things were starting to unfold uh but you know they were still somewhat under control um they were trying to keep it under control and he's been locked up through this entireable 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 is not a word entirely horrible situation um it kind of reminds me of 28 days later when Killian Murphy's character uh wakes up in the hospital to find the world has been decimated um, Stu knew what was going on, however. He was not in a coma, but I don't know if he understands the extent of what he's about to see. But Stu is a survivor, and I really cannot wait to see where he goes next and who he meets. You know who is not a survivor? Chris Bradenton, who has, um, he's had run-ins with Richard Fry in the past, and we all know Richard Fry is just another name for Randall Flagg. Chris is dying, but not before he receives another visit from the Walkin' Dude next week in Chapter 31. And that's it for this chapter, everybody. Um, Stu is free. I'm really excited about this. Um, I did like his chapters only because he was really our only link to... Uh, the people in charge, the people who have um, done this, the responsible parties. Um, and he was kind of like our uh, conduit, I guess, for getting answers. Although we didn't get a lot of them, but we got enough. Um, otherwise, we would have just been as lost as everybody else in this book um, without knowing exactly what this was, how it started. Um, so I kind of like that Stu was our go-to person for that. But now that that part's over. Everything's done. The superflu did what it what it was supposed to do when it was created. So now we're going to be getting into the survivors getting away from where they are now and likely running into each other, meeting each other, um, and probably the walking dude. So that is it for this episode. Uh, thank you again to everybody for listening. Um, if you are enjoying this uh, podcast, you can leave me a rating or review on whatever platform you happen to listen to this podcast on. Um, every single one is always appreciated. If you want to 
talk about this chapter or any of the chapters that we've read so far, or if you have any thoughts or questions or concerns, you can always email me at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. And yeah, that's it, you guys. M-O-O-N. That spells. See you next week. Thank you.